Belarusians right now are seen in Ukraine not anymore as Belarusians who's been uh, before 24th of February. Now we are collaborants, uh, so we are part of uh, war criminals. Of course, it's not easy to live personally with this because I consider myself, wrote a couple of pieces about it and then publicly represented this point of view that we are in a war with Ukraine. We started, we Belarusians started the war with Ukraine on 24th of February. It's not just Russia. So we're providing the territory, the infrastructure, and we were launching rockets from my own city of Gomel on Ukraine. We have to make it right now. Uh, that's why I'm staying here. That's why I'm helping. That's why I'm volunteering. We have to make it right years and decades after. Dr. Vitaly Shklyarov is a dual Belarusian-American citizen currently based in Ukraine's capital, Kyiv, and among Belarus's most prominent political consultants. Having gathered expertise by joining election campaigns in Germany and the United States, including the presidential runs of Barack Obama and Bernie Sanders, Shklyarov's lifelong goal has been to help opposition politicians challenge authoritarian regimes in Eastern Europe and the former Soviet bloc. For his democratic activism, he was imprisoned for four months in Belarus back in 2020, released in a deal that was brokered by then U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Shklyarov has since found himself in Ukraine, a country he sees as a brother-in-arms in the fight against authoritarian dictators and a war the outcome of which he believes is crucial for the future of his own country as well. I'm Chris Termak and I spoke to Vitaly Shklyarov on The Big Interview. Vitaly Shklyarov, welcome to The Big Interview. I wonder if you could start by telling us what inspired you to become a political consultant in the first place. Well, in the first place, it was my love with political sciences and my love with politics and my desire to change the country. I am a last generation of Soviet-born people. I'm 45 currently, so I witnessed, I experienced firsthand the last decade, the last breath of Soviet empire. I was child at this time. And I mean by that, the nuclear catastrophe in Chernobyl on 26th of April 1986 that changed my life uh, and the life of millions of people in former Soviet Union rapidly and drastically, particularly my life because I'm coming um, from this part of uh, Belarus, which was 85 miles far away from the nuclear plant. Because of this nuclear disaster, as a child, as a 10-year-old child, I was evacuated for the first time in my life. I was evacuated to Germany for the summer in order to save my kid's child uh, life. I was, like many Belarusian kids, I was um, evacuated to, to different countries. And particularly, the fact that I was evacuated to Germany changed my entire life. When I came back, and it was the first time, I saw firsthand and I witnessed and, and I understood as a just teenager the difference of the reality, speaking of how is the West is like in the real world 
from the difference of perception of so many Soviet people and the propaganda I was exposed to, even as a child. And for the first time, I was quite impressed by uh, this uh, difference, but by dissonance uh, of the reality and, and, and uh, what I was told and uh, I was taught at the school. And I believe this made a first significant change in my life. I decided to learn the language. I decided to work in the West. I decided to help my country become like a West quite a lot. I, I, I decided to dedicate my life to languages, to ability to understand other people and other cultures, and uh, dedicate my life later to politics. And the second reason for that was Barack Obama, the first African-American president of the United States of America, who came at this time I was studying in Germany, who came as part of his 2008 uh, Yes We Can campaign to Berlin, as you remember. At this time I didn't speak English at all, but I was so struck and I, I was so caught by surprise to see a different type of leadership, this different type of leader, not this typical um, politician, the Soviet era politician, this typical Communist Party uh, bureaucrat. But for the first time in my life, I saw someone who is charismatic, who is just over 40 and who is smiling and speaking the language. Everybody understands the language that appeals to young people, who is sexy, you would say. Uh, um, politics back then was something boring, something when you turn 60, you'll get elected into the office as a old, almost retired communist bureaucrat, and that's it. So it was never sexy, it was never appealing, it was never interesting. Nobody was dealing with politics, nobody was interested in politics, and um, this is a pity. This was the result of this Soviet-style propaganda-driven decades after decades style of uh, life and politics. Back then, uh, Soviet Union, and then later on in Russia or uh, Ukraine or Belarus and so on. And that was the second time in my life or the second reason where I decided, okay, it takes not just a knowledge of um, different cultures and languages and uh, working for Ernst and & Young and, and uh, big companies. It takes also to bring new political figures to life, help people to run for office, desacralize, uh, de-demonize uh, the politics because politics was always demonized in, in back then Soviet Union and in Russia or Belarus and uh, to make it appealing for young people and to help them and uh, to bring first-time candidates into politics. And just because of that, this change uh, will uh, definitely step-by-step step bring the change in the society and the perception of politics. And as a result, different types of politicians and different types of politics as policy. And I believe those two big reasons, Chernobyl and Obama played, I believe, the huge role in my um, decision to dedicate my life uh, and dedicate my, my, my um, blood and sweat into, in my hands into what I'm doing. So, Vitaly, you were arrested in Belarus back in 2020, soon after the nullified election and crackdown by Alexander uh, Lukashenko. Can you tell me a little more about your own activities leading up to that arrest? Well, there's a lot of activities I was involved into. Some of those activities I uh, cannot comment because 
I want to remind that I'm still uh, convicted in the trial of former presidential candidate in Belarus, Sergei Tikhanovsky, the husband of a very famous and very heroic Belarusian first very democratically elected and first woman elected Svetlana Tikhanovskaya two years ago. So he's been in jail for two years. Right after, months after his arrest, I was arrested as well. Prior to this, I was very publicly active, um, speaking up a lot about the resilience, about the democratic movement in Belarus. I was writing a lot of articles uh, for um, top U.S. and European outlets like foreign policy, like like uh, Washington Post, like like Politico and Hill and and so on. I was criticizing regime of Lukashenko. I was uh, as a analyst, as an expert on Belarus, uh, in a lot of conferences or um, speaker engagements, active. Uh, and uh, I also had my personal uh, Telegram blog and chat, uh, very at this time very popular, uh, commenting on daily political events. So I would say uh, I was quite active, quite active. Now, your case, given your American citizenship as well, became, well, quite prominent internationally. I wonder how did that make you feel, especially the efforts that were made uh, by the U.S. and others to get you released? Well, first of all, Chris, of course, I've seen democracy at work before in all dozens uh, of races that I've been involved into in the United States, in, in Germany, in different countries. But here, for the first time ever, it was not about some candidate, it was not about some cause, uh, it was not about some uh, um, NGO, it was about my life, my personal life, about about my family, about my son, who was also uh, part of this uh, tragedy, who could not leave the country, and it was a special operation to rescue my uh, eight years old son. So I saw for the first time how democracy works and I saw for first time and I felt it and this made me in my beliefs in my desire to dedicate my life to the democracy fight more certain more solid more decisive because that's how the real democratic state and the government should work that's how uh, I understood that's how the real democratic and uh, and uh, honest state and the government should take care of their own people. That's how the Secretary of State should deal with uh, the problems of their citizens who aren't particularly soldiers or um, particularly high political figures. That's how a normal society should react to political imprisonment and uh, injustice. I felt it and it was a prime example of how the society, how the government, how government officials and how the diplomacy, the State Department, dozens and I believe even maybe hundreds of diplomats who's been involved in my case and, and so many cases in Belarus up to those days, up to today. That's whom I'm uh, saluting and uh, who I'm saying thank you, uh, those diplomats, those journalists, those political uh, elected officials, 
those just regular people who protested in front of embassies. I believe that's how the government, healthy government, should fight for their citizen, should give up everything for the lives of those people. And I was moved to tears. I was moved beyond what I can express with my words, uh, what all those people in the United States, in Germany, in Poland, in Belarus, in Russia, in Ukraine, in uh, so many other countries um, did just to save one life. And uh, after that, I have no choice then to help other people the same way I was helped once. And I believe this made a huge and uh, profound impact on my life and the way I am right now. It changed me personally as a human being, as a person who is uh, living and has to live a couple of years to come. So it was um, something what I call life before a life after event. And so I live in the life after, and I believe uh, I will never ever forget it. Now, after your release, you quickly found yourself in Ukraine. Tell me what motivated you to move there. Well, that's correct, Chris. I'm in Ukraine now. I am, as I said, I'm Ukrainian now until the war is uh, over. I uh, declared myself as a Ukrainian now because uh, the one goal I have is to help Ukraine to resist, to win this war and to lose as many as possible people in this act of aggression. Secondly, I want and I am heavily involved and and, uh, I'm helping political prisoners uh, to get out of a prison. Thirdly, and I, as a former political prisoner who spent in this Gulag-style, Soviet-style prison camp in Lukashenko, in this um, Lukashenko's empire, I understand what it means to be a political prisoner or a prisoner as such, so I am writing letters to those people. Even today, even now, I am still in contact with people who are still behind the bars because this is the only and the most important, the most treasured thing you get in a prison is the attention, attention and the knowledge that you're not alone, knowledge that someone didn't forget you, that someone is thinking of you and someone is sharing some just regular daily news with you. This is very important for any political prisoner, for person who is um, not seeing the sky like I haven't seen it for four months. Um, And uh, of course, uh, I am in Ukraine right now, and this is also part of my resilience, is a part of my... uh, desire to not to be afraid, desire to pay back to all those who are still in prison. So I am helping and I'm staying here in the country. And uh, I believe this is important as a part of my uh, principle, principle that no one should be left behind. And then, of course, in so many areas, I'm uh, limited in what I can do. I still cannot travel and to see my family in Belarus. I'm still banned and then persona non grata in Russia, in Belarus. And uh, as long as 
those two dictators are alive, I will never see my family, but or any of my relatives, nobody. But the only way I can help is to be as close as possible to Belarus, to Ukraine, to this arena of um, events that are happening right now and currently in Europe. And I understand that I can um, help and I understand that even my presence here makes me feel honest to myself and um, honest to those who are still in prison and uh, would appreciate that someone is as close as possible to to them. That's why I'm in Kyiv. And Vitsley, I do want to speak about the invasion by Russia, but tell me first of all a little more about what your life was like in Ukraine before the invasion. Well, it was actually, in a way, a good life because so many Belarusians, Belarusians like me, felt that Ukraine became, particularly after those brutal events of 2020 in Minsk, we all felt that Ukraine became a sort of a island of security, island of democracy, the last little uh, harbor of, of peace. Um, we could uh, stay in, in a country. Zelensky back then changed the law and the Belarusians uh, could be granted a, sort of a green card and work uh, authorization. So it was a, a good life in a way. And uh, it was um, an outlook uh, for um, so many people, an opportunity for so many Belarusians uh, to be as close as possible to the families who was left behind or who stayed in Belarus, and at least an opportunity or a possibility to see them sometimes uh, when they crossed the border and came visiting us. Even my friends came visiting me in Ukraine. Secondly, my life was good because I was working on a lot of causes. I was working on the first ever um, movie about Belarus. It's called Minsk. It was just recently... Uh, came just recently in the movie theaters in Estonia. It was co-production of Estonian uh, Ministry of Culture and the team of Belarusians activists. And I was a producer of this movie and I was working very hard this movie. I was uh, working on a couple more causes. And uh, I felt like Ukraine is slowly becoming my home. But now the life is different. The 24th of February changed everything. And... What were then your activities uh, in the immediate days after? How did you respond to the invasion on the 24th of February? I was, right in the beginning of war, I was part of a territorial defense. I volunteered myself in Zhitomer, right on this uh, area where Bucha and uh, Irpin, there were a lot of action in the first weeks of war. So I spent first almost 10 days of the war there. And after that, I, I came back to Kiev. I returned to Kiev, and um, in the weeks to come, I was volunteering and driving a lot of people. First, the first couple of waves of people leaving the city, I was helping a lot of families as a driver, as a volunteer, driving people out of Kiev to Lviv, to the Polish border, returning back, getting new people, driving them out again. So a lot of kids and uh, women, a lot of families, elderly people. I was driving as a driver, as a volunteer, a lot of uh, humanitarian aid and uh, some helmets, some uh, 
bulletproof vests and uh, other stuff from uh, different countries into Ukraine. And um, I've been writing articles. I've been uh, participating in a couple of conferences and um, staying uh, most of the time in Kiev. Sometimes when, when the situation was really critical, I was leaving Kiev for a couple of days and uh, going to the western part of the country and then returning back again. Now, Vitaly, Belarus has, of course, played a role in Russia's invasion of Ukraine and continues to. I do wonder how the war has impacted you, particularly as a Belarusian living in Ukraine. Vladimir Putin helped, obviously, Lukashenko cling to power in 2020 after his fake presidential re-election that sparked all those mass protests. But in turn, Lukashenko has given his backing to Russia's invasion, and we have to live with that, with the blame, with the shame, with the pain of the fact that Belarus became a part of illegal war. Of course, our strong community is continuing to build the first democratic state in Belarus, of Belarus in exile, uh, with Svetlana Tikhanovska, and uh, the war has also re-energized the Belarusian pro-democracy forces who were driven into exile following this violent crackdown in 2020. The community and I, myself, we have not only survived several waves of repression, but we found our political uh, identity and diplomatic identity and uh, national identity as a coalition behind Svetlana Tikhanovskaya. But nevertheless, the Russians right now are seen in Ukraine not anymore as Belarusians who's been uh, before 24th of February. Now we are collaborants, uh, so we are part of a uh, war criminals and um, of course it's not easy to live personally with this because i consider myself wrote a couple of pieces about it and then publicly represented this uh, point of view that we are in a war with ukraine we started we belarus belarusians started the war with ukraine on 24th of february it's not just russia so we're providing the territory the infrastructure and we were launching rockets from uh, my own city of Gomel on Ukraine. And um, we have to make it right now. Uh, that's why I'm staying here. That's why I'm helping. That's why I'm volunteering. We have to make it right years and decades after. And uh, we have to make it right also as a part of a goal to get rid of this uh, totalitarian regime. And what do you think needs to happen now in Ukraine and also in Belarus? What do you hope will happen going forward? I believe we've been living in a wishful thinking for quite a long time. It's time to wake up. It's time for the West to recognize that there is no negotiation as possible, and neither with Lukashenko nor with Putin. What we should do, we should help as much as needed to Ukraine to succeed because this is not about just Ukraine. As I said, the victory of Ukraine is the final, final, I believe, 1991, when we all were so happy that the Soviet Union collapsed and this evil was gone. We were mistaken. We were um, lying to ourselves, not recognizing that Soviet power was still intact and it's still uh, operating. 
weaken but still operating. I believe the victory of Ukraine and the fall of regime of Lukashenko is the final and the end goal of hitting the last nail in the tomb of Soviet era. And um, for that reason, Ukraine plays a significant role. For that reason, we should help Ukraine. For that reason, we should help Belarus. And to get back to your question, I believe what we should do, what would I like to see happening is that the West finally, number one, recognizes Tikhanovskaya, recognizes her office as a legitimate power, as a legitimate elected president, current president of Belarus. After recognition of uh, office of Tikhanovskaya, grant her all democratic needed diplomatic credentials to be and to act as a president in exile. We should define the current context, who we are, the citizens of people of uh, Belarus. We should get the representation of the first ever new Belarus, I call it new Belarus, in the country who suffers the most from Belarus right now, in Ukraine. So after the Belarusian diplomats left the country, we should open the first diplomatic embassy and representation of uh, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya office in Ukraine, grant her credentials and declare the independence of new Belarus. We as a Belarusians who lives in exile, Belarusians who did not elect Lukashenko, and most of all, all Belarusians who did not want the war, who was not asked to be involved in this war, I remind you that Lukashenko just personally met this decision and is responsible just personally for this act of war. So we all, people of Belarus, we are in right to determine our destiny. We have the right to determine new Belarus outside of current territorial um, borders of Belarus, ex-territorial, because we have the language, we have the flag, we have the elected president, we have the culture, we have everything what we need. We have people, we have recognition in the West. We should define a new state of Belarus on the territory of, uh, let's say, with the first consulate uh, in Ukraine and start to issue Belarusian passports. And therefore, give all legal diplomatic tools for Office of Tikhanovskaya to build a government, to rally people around this idea, to give people opportunity to uh, become not part of this war, to separate Lukashenko from the rest of Belarus, to separate not just mentally, but also legally, to give all uh, Belarusians who owned this new passport the opportunity to be able to travel to Ukraine, to other neighboring countries. So therefore, to recognize a new Belarusian passport and um, recognize the democratic representation. And uh, therefore, create an ID for citizens like uh, Estonia did one once. And uh, is so we should create ex-territorial representation of Belarus and um, get as many as people uh, as possible Belarusian citizens to become a part of this new entity, grant them all new citizenship and new passports, digital passport, and uh, run in two or three years new election. Absolutely digital, like Estonia does. It's not complicated. 
I've been working on this uh, for quite a long, and I believe it's possible. Now it's up to the West, and particularly up to the Zelensky, to recognize Tikhanovskaya and to grant her the office and representation in Ukraine as a sign, as a sign particularly, and a message for all those crimes that Lukashenko personally is responsible for in the last 90 days of war. So Lukashenko is not equal Belarus anymore. And we should draw this line quite soon and quite uh, rapidly and uh, decisively. That's what I wish to happen. Vitaly Shklyarov, thank you very much for joining us on the big interview on Monocle 24. That's it for this edition of The Big Interview. It was edited by Steph Changu. And don't forget to subscribe to Monocle Magazine and our free daily email bulletins by heading over to our website at monocle.com. From me, Chris Chermak, thank you very much for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.